Good morning, uh, Lake Point family. If you guys got your Bible, head over to Luke chapter 10. That's gonna be today, Luke 10. Hey, while you're turning there, uh, one, if you're new with us, let me just go ahead and welcome you. My name is Josh. I'm one of our uh, senior pastors here at Lake Point. We're incredibly honored that you're here. We know we have a ton of new people these days, and uh, there's a lot, I'm realizing there's a lot of people who don't know that I'm new, so let me just say, I've only been here about six months, and we can all be new together, and that'd be awesome. Would that be fun, Lake Point family? Let's do that, that'd be fun. Yeah, so welcome and uh, really honored to have you here. Um, hey, while you turn to Luke 10, I do just want to call attention to uh, something that's really fun lately. You guys know, um, just a few weeks ago, it was really meaningful to me um, to get to watch and be a part of us celebrating our 40th anniversary as a church. And uh, that was really, really cool. And uh, yeah, scattered applause. You know, I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, we did, uh, what was awesome is, you guys know we're also coming up on Pastor Steve's 40th anniversary as our senior pastor here at Lake Point. Wait, hold your applause, we'll get there here in a second. And uh, so on that day, you know, afterwards, uh, everybody was grabbing me and they were like, man, Josh, you know, looking forward to your 40th anniversary. And I'm like, hey, I'm 36, man, you got different plans, you know, I don't know how this is gonna roll. So what we did was we had uh, our creative team uh, just kind of look forward into the future. What's it gonna look like in 40 years? You know, for, you know the 80 year anniversary of Lake Point, what's it gonna look like? So this right here was the picture that we used with Steve. You know, he's a handsome fella too, isn't he, Reverend Stroop there? And uh, so this was the picture leading up to the 40th anniversary. So Lake Point, let me show you what you have to look forward to in your future. Go ahead and do, there you go, that's it. <laughs> so that's your future and, and can, we, can we just all just acknowledge we hope Pastor Steve is still around in 40 more years. We want him here. That's right, man. Listen, we'll tell you that with that man's wisdom, we'll take a 106-year-old uh, senior pastor, co-pastor any day. We'll take it. Well, hey, uh, uh, here's what we're doing today. We're starting a new series that we're just calling Uncommon. And uh, I wanna encourage you to make it to every week of this series because we very intentionally planned this, and, and you'll see why here in the next few weeks. But what we're doing is uh, the concept of the series, the Bible, it uses words that highlight how different, how uncommon Christians are supposed to look uh, compared to the rest of the world. It uses words like us being strangers, exiles. We're distinct from the world. We're salt and light, you know, in a world that's flavorless and dark, that kind of thing. And so the big idea of the series is that you have to be different in order to make a difference. And that, that should be very obvious to us all. And each week of the series we're gonna do is we're gonna look at one aspect of what it means to be uncommon and distinct in this world. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, just give you a little heads up. There's gonna be some weeks of this series that are very, very challenging. Uh, in fact, in a, in a couple weeks, we've got what we're gonna call a PG-11 uh, sermon where we're gonna talk about just what uncommon conviction looks like, uh, you know, with, with regards to purity, that kind of thing. So just, just heads up, you know, I'm bringing my preaching helmet and we'll be ready. And, uh, but here's what I wanna do to lead into the uh, characteristic we're looking at uh, today. I came across a story about uh, an elementary aged girl that was in a class with an unbelieving science teacher. And she was there and uh, she wanted to write uh, you know, a paper just about Jonah, the story of Jonah. And the teacher just sort of said in front of the class, hey, you know the story of Jonah isn't real, right? And she said, well, yes it is, it's in the Bible. And he said, no it's not, yes it is, no it's not. They went back and forth. Until eventually the teacher just sort of sneered back and said, well, if, if the story of Jonah's real, well, how did Jonah live for three days in the belly of a fish? Uh, to which the girl responded, well, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. Uh, to which the, the professor, the teacher responded right back. He said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? 
To which the little girl <laughs> fired right back, well, then you can ask him, <laughs> yeah, right, right? Now, let me just, <laughs> that's a funny little story, but let me just say that that actually highlights uh, what is often a sad reality about Christians and here's the sad reality that highlights that's often true about Christians. Christians are often known as people who have strong convictions but weak compassion. And what you're gonna see today is that the unique calling, the uncommon calling we've been given is to an uncommon type of compassion in the world. So if you've got your Bibles, pick up with me, with me in Luke 10. We're gonna start in verse 25 in a pretty familiar story, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw some new things out for you, I think. It's a story of the Good Samaritan, okay? So let me point a few things out to you, okay? Here's, here's how it goes. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Bad idea. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered, uh, he said, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to watch this. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He was looking for loopholes. That's what he was doing. In reply, Jesus said, he tells a story. Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and they left him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now, pause real quick here. The priest and the Levite often get a really bad rap. I just wanna point something out to you. For you Bible scholars, you can take this note, and you can go study this, and this is real fun for you. But the priest and the Levite, they were trying to obey a part of the Old Testament law that was called the ceremonial law. All the laws about how to keep the ceremonies and the habits the Jewish people were supposed to keep, and here's what they were doing. To touch a dead or dying body, they would have broken the ceremonial law, and they would have been ceremonially unclean for a time. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, there's something even more important than keeping the ceremonial law. Now watch what he says right here. But a Samaritan, now do this with me real quick. When I say in a second, I'm gonna say the word Samaritan again. Can you all just play along? And when I say Samaritan, say boo, hiss. Okay, do it with me. But a Samaritan, boo, hiss, that's right. And that's how every Jewish person would have internally reacted when they heard the word Samaritan. I'll explain the hatred there. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he, here's our word, he took compassion on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Jesus asked this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, can I point some things out to you? We're talking about compassion today. Uh, again, let me kind of lean in for you Bible scholars. I think most Christians, even Christians who are very familiar with their Bible, we don't realize how central compassion is to the character of God. Uh, that's a thread you can pull on throughout the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. So it's interesting, the first time in the whole Bible God ever describes himself is in Exodus 34. Uh, uh, there's a verse in Exodus 34 that, watch this, the rest of the Bible quotes this verse more than any other verse in the Bible, and it's when God describes himself, and listen to how God describes himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, can I just point this out to you? The first adjective God ever used about himself is the word compassionate. Uh, I'll give you another one. He has another story of Jonah, right? Uh, Jonah was called to go preach to uh, this wicked, violent city of Nineveh. Now, you gotta know this, Nineveh was in the middle of modern-day Iraq, so God was telling a short little Jewish guy to go preach in the middle of Iraq, you know? Jonah runs the other way to Tarshish, and we think that Jonah was running away from the Ninevites. That's not what's going on. Jonah goes, he preaches the worst sermon that has ever been preached. This was the whole sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You know, happy Sunday. You know, that's what he does. Then God causes a national revival to break out. All the Ninevites turn to the Lord. Uh, the next chapter in Jonah 4, we find Jonah and he's furious and sulking under a tree. And God says, Jonah, why are you so angry? And Jonah says, here's why I fled. Here's why I ran to Tarshish. I didn't do it to get away from the Ninevites. Here's what he says. I did it because I knew you'd be compassionate. I knew you would do that because that's who you are, God. Uh, I'll give you one more. Um, there's one time in uh, Isaiah 49 where God describes himself like this. This is real fresh to me because I've got, I've got a newborn at home right now. And God describes himself like this. He says, could a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. Okay, now, can I, we know this, our children draw out incredible compassion from us, we know this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I uh, ran across a story about a guy in a, a grocery store where his uh, son, his very young son, again, it's very fresh to me, I've got an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-month-old, and his son was throwing one of those like really embarrassing tantrums in the candy part of the checkout line. And he was pulling stuff off the you know, shelves and throwing, pushing dad's hands away, crying, screaming, kicking, all that stuff. And uh, this man just struck a very compassionate posture and leaned down you know, over his son and he, uh, he just started whispering out loud. He was whispering, it's okay, Albert. It's fine, Albert. Calm your spirit, little Albert. It's gonna be okay. There's no reason to cry, Albert. And as he was doing that, a woman walked right by and she touched the man on the shoulder and she just said, hey, I want you to know, I am so impressed with your gentle compassion towards your little Albert. And the man said, ma'am, I'm Albert. That's what he, he said, you see that? And he said, we, we, all, we, we all know that. Our children, they do that. They just, they draw out compassion from us, whether it's for us or for them, but they're gonna draw out compassion from us. Well, God says, I'm like that. He says, I have the type of compassion that a, new, a, a newborn mom has for a child. That's what I'm like, I'll, I'll give you one last one. You guys know that Jesus himself, it was the image of God. The Bible says he was the exact representation of the nature of God. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure out what God is like, here's all you gotta do, look at Jesus. That's what, that's what God is like. In fact, did you know this? Do you know why God commanded as one of the 10 commandments to not make an image of God? Do you know why he gave that commandment? He said, don't make an image because someday I'm gonna send one. Jesus is the image of God. This is really interesting. I learned this this week. There was an old Bible scholar, a man named B.B. Warfield, who wrote a, uh, a book called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in it, he studied the emotional life of Jesus, both in prophecy and throughout the Gospels. Do you know what he found? He found this, that the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus was compassion. And then you got it right here. This passage says that this man had compassion on him. Now here's a big question. We're talking about compassion. We, we probably ought to define it. 
So what in the world does compassion mean, okay? Well, here, here, I love this. The Greek word for compassion is my favorite Greek word in the entire Greek language. It's the Greek word splachma. I love that word, splachma, okay? Now, uh, what it is, is it's an onomatopoeia. Did I say that right, English teachers? It's an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like uh, what it is, like pow or crash or chitty chitty bang bang. Uh, you know, that, those are onomatopoeias, okay? Now, do, everybody do this with me. I know this is weird, just do it with me. Everybody put your hand on your stomach, all of our campuses' hand on your stomach, and then say the word splachma. Do it, splogma, right down there. Do it again, splogma, right there. If you don't feel like Jabba the Hutt, you're doing it wrong. That's how that works. Now do this, uh, put your hand on your neighbor's stomach. I'm just teasing, don't do that. Don't do that. But what it is, is uh, when you say that word splogma, you feel it down in your gut. Well, here's why. What that word literally means, it means a pity that comes from our deepest soul. That's what that means. Jesus is not talking about an action you choose, He's talking about an emotion you can't control. That's what compassion is. Now, can I just lean in to us, especially people who have been walking with the Lord maybe for years or decades? Can I just lean into you? There are many of you here, you are people of deeply held convictions. You know what you believe about social issues like abortion, marriage, race and, ju- race and justice issues. You've got deeply held convictions. A lot of you guys, you grew up in, the, this is an amazing church. This is a, a once in a lifetime church. You grew up in a church that believes the Bible and teaches the Bible faithfully and gets through the entire Bible to disciple our people in the word. And so you've got good doctrine. You stand for the, tr- for the truthfulness of the Bible, salvation by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You've got deeply held convictions, but listen to me. If you want to be like Christ, you've got to combine deeply felt compassion to your deeply held convictions. And if we never do that, we will never become the aroma of Christ in this world. Uh, I wanna give you an example of what this looks like. So uh, this picture you're getting ready to see on the screen right now, this is a really interesting picture. Uh, Two very unlikely people in this picture together. The man on the left is a man named Shane Windemeyer. Um, He is a very uh, vocal, very high profile gay rights activist that leads an organization called Campus Pride. Uh, That's the man on the left. Now the man on the right, is somebody that a lot of you actually may recognize. That's Dan Caffey, the CEO, owner, and operator of Chick-fil-A, okay? An outspoken Christian, Dan Caffey, okay? Here's what's really interesting about this picture. You guys remember a few years ago, uh, the media found out that Chick-fil-A had been charitably donating some of its money to organizations that supported a traditional sort of biblical view of marriage. And when that happened, people freaked out. I mean, they lost their minds when they found out that was happening. And there was a lot of uh, gay rights uh, organizations that uh, organized a boycott against Chick-fil-A. And then a lot of people found out about it and uh, they organized a boycott against the boycott, you know, and called it Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Uh, That day ended up being the highest sales day in the history of Chick-fil-A. And so all that happened. Uh, Now, while all that was happening, here's what's really interesting. What a lot of people don't know is that Dan Caffey, Chick-fil-A CEO, he never supported, he never vocalized anything about Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Instead, what he did is unbeknownst to anybody anywhere, he personally reached out to Shane Windemeyer by phone and he struck up a conversation. And Dan Caffey and Shane Windemeyer began speaking regularly and they were very vulnerable to each other and, and they spoke so often and so regularly that they actually forged a very unlikely friendship. In fact, that picture you're seeing right now, 
That is Dan Cathy having invited Shane Windemeyer to be his special guest in the owner suite at the 2014 Chick-fil-A Bowl. Uh, and so Dan Cathy brought him out there and, and they shared that time. Shane Windemeyer likewise developed a friendship with Dan Cathy, invited him out to uh, his ski lodge and they went skiing together just as two friends, that sort of thing. And after this relationship and friendship developed, Shane Windemeyer wrote a very controversial article in the Huffington Post. The title of the article was, Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. And here's what he wrote in that article. I'm gonna read you a direct quote. This is what Shane Windemeyer said. He said, it's not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. We see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, in our own families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had ever experienced before. Now listen to this. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns and he sought first to understand, not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication. We built trust with one another. His demeanor has always been one of, listen, kindness and openness. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. Now, isn't that really interesting? Can, can I tell you what Dan Cathy did there? Here's what he did. He wasn't okay simply having deeply felt convictions. What he wanted to have was deeply held compassion where everybody else saw an issue to debate. Dan Cathy looked across the table and he saw an individual that needed to be loved. Guys, that is what Christ is calling us to as people of compassion. What's keeping many of us from having the compassionate heart of Jesus is this. We have an unwillingness. When the conversations start going and debate starts happening and disagreement happens around us, we have an unwillingness to look behind issues about which we disagree and see individuals that we are called to love. You guys understand, nobody has ever blended, blended deeply held convictions with deeply felt compassion like God himself. Guys, it, it was deeply held conviction that causes God to justly condemn sin, but it is deeply felt compassion that caused him to send his own son to pay the price for our sin and be condemned in our place. God himself has done that unlike anybody else. Let me just say this to you and just kind of lean in. I may step on your toes here. If your Christian convictions are ever being used as an excuse to withhold Christ-like compassion, that's not Christ at all. That's a devil dressed up in Jesus' clothes. Let me just say this to you. What makes Christian, if you're gonna clap, you gotta commit. You gotta go all the way in, okay? Gotta go all the way in. What makes truly Christian people uncommon is this. Deeply held convictions alongside of deeply felt compassion. That's what the world never gets to see. Now, let me, let me just do this. Uh, the big question is, okay, you're going, all right, Josh, sounds great, how do I do that? Well, here's, here's what compassion does. It answers all the questions. So let me just do this. Compassion answers the questions when, how much, and who. Uh, I'm gonna do these first two really briefly, so you gotta, you gotta uh, hang on to your seatbelt, okay? Compassion answers the question when. When do we show compassion? Whenever you have the ability to meet the need. Can I just point some out to you? Uh, we, we what we wanna do is we wanna show compassion that fits into our schedules. Have you ever noticed that people's problems never fit into your schedules, they're always interruptions? Now, can I just point something out to you? In this parable, 
the Jewish man dying in need of help, that was an interruption into the Samaritan man's schedule. So you see here, I don't have time to do this, I wish I did. I wish I could list for you all the times in Jesus' ministry that he was willing to be interrupted. And when Jesus actually viewed the interruption as the assignment. Uh, there are t- I'll give you one example and then we gotta move on. Okay, you guys remember there was a time a synagogue ruler said that his son was dying. He's like, Jesus, come on. And Jesus goes, okay, I'm in. And Jesus starts to follow him. Along the way, uh, there was a woman, the Bible says, who had a discharge of blood for years that interrupted Jesus on his way to this very important task. And Jesus, like he always does, Jesus just went, man, I'm putting words into Jesus' mind, but just go with me. He just went, man, I'm assuming that the Lord put this person in my path to help, and I'm gonna view this interruption as my assignment. And Jesus heals this woman. Uh, The synagogue ruler's son actually ends up dying. Jesus goes and he raises him. Now I just wanna point this out to you. Jesus was on his way to a very important task, but when the interruption came, watch this, Jesus viewed the interruption as God's assignment. Can I say something to you? This will happen in your family, your workplace, in your life. There's gonna be interruptions with people's problems. Here's what I want you to do. Just have this little tagline in your head. And sometimes the interruption is the assignment. That's the person that God has put in your path to whom you are called to show compassion. If you have the ability to meet the need, you have a responsibility to meet the need. That's what it's saying right here. Now, let me answer the question, how much? Compassion answers this question. Well, here's how much. In a way that takes the person's burden onto yourself. That's how much. Did you notice it says that he, this man in the story, he put him on his donkey. So watch this, I'm coming back to it. He traded places with this man. And in so doing, he put himself in danger. If the man was still bleeding, that means that his attackers were still close by. So he took the man out of danger, put himself in danger. He pours on oil and wine, meeting medical needs. And he gives money to the innkeeper to meet the man's future needs. So he's taking the man's burden onto himself. Now, can I just give a danger for churches like us and people like us? Here's the danger. Jesus is teaching that there is this major danger when it comes to following him. The danger that we become people who perfect the marginal aspects of following him and ignore the essential aspects. Now, here's what he means. Jesus is saying the weightiest part of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important part of the law. So if you want to evaluate your relationship with Christ, here's your checklist. Don't ask how many Bible verses you know or how often you come to church or how often you do other religious duties. Ask how much of your resources and time are being poured out for others like Jesus poured his out for you. That's how we evaluate our relationship with Christ. Guys, now I I can already sense something, and here's what I can sense. Um, uh, The objection I sense is, yeah, Josh, but there's always something. You know, right now, they call it uh, in our uh, social media sort of age, what they call it is compassion fatigue. We are so often inundated with the new, urgent, moral crisis that we, over time, we become numb to what's happened in the world around us. Uh, Just in the last one or two years, all of these things we have been told are the most important thing that's in front of us. Syrian refugees, Ferguson riots, Hollywood abuse scandals, Planned Parenthood trafficking baby parts, Flint water crisis, orphan crisis, North Korean slavery, Middle Eastern genocide, daggum turtles choking on plastic straws. <laughs> All of those things, that's the, the urgent moral crisis that's in front of us. Can I just give you guys, here's one more very practical little tagline for you to take and go, here's how I can follow Christ in a sustainable way in this area. Here's what you need to do. 
Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Do for one what you wish you could do. Who's the one person in your life that you're gonna say, man, right now, God, I'm viewing that person as my assignment and I'm gonna make their problems my problems. I'm gonna take the weight of that onto myself. That's my assignment. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Now, here's a big question, who? To whom are we called to show compassion? Now, can we just all acknowledge something real quick? Everybody everywhere is prone to practicing what I'm gonna call selective compassion. We have compassion for people who are on our team, on our side, and we tend to have only convictions for people who are on the other team on another side. You know, this has really driven home to me recently. Uh, I was in a parking lot in Rockwall, and uh, I was waiting for a parking space in a busy parking lot. You guys ever have this happen? Uh, you know, you saw somebody get in their car, and you see them shift it into reverse, the lights are on. And so I just pulled up, and I put my blinker on, and I was waiting for the spot, you know, like a, any normal sane person would do. And uh, I waited, and I waited a little longer, and I, I waited a little longer, and uh, nothing happened. And the longer I waited, it was just like something began to dawn on me, and I realized what this man was doing. I realized this man had seen me put my blinker on, and he didn't like that I was rushing him, so he was intentionally trying to make me wait longer just to prove a point. And so, you know, I just waited longer and longer and my anger level just kept rising till eventually I just put my car in park and I got out of the car. I wanted to walk up to the window and tell this man exactly what I thought about what he was doing. And as I got up to the window, his window rolled down and he went, Pastor Josh, you know, and I said, man, I just came up here to tell you, God bless you, Jesus loves you, man, the Lord is for you, that kind of thing. <laughs> now, can I just say this? Let me just acknowledge that actually didn't happen to me. It's just a really good story. Let me just say that, all right? But it does illustrate the fact that we all have that tendency. We wanna show compassion to people who are on our side, but we'll reserve only conviction for people who are on the other side. Did you notice, let me point out something about this passage. So did you notice that Jesus said the man went down from Jerusalem? So Jesus is acknowledging this man is a Jew, went down from Jerusalem. Now, did you also notice this? Uh, Jews and Samaritans, we call this story, what do we call this story? Everybody answer, Allah. We call this story the story of the good Samaritan. We know that. Now, you gotta understand this. To a Jewish person, the words good Samaritan, that would be like an oxymoron. Two words that cancel each other out. That's like when you say uh, jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. Uh, act naturally. That's another oxymoron. Uh, one of my favorite uh, oxymorons is uh, government efficiency, oxymoron. Uh, I'll, do, uh, I'll do one other one. Uh, whenever I hear somebody talk about a fun run, I'm like, hey bro, ain't nothing fun about that. You know, that's oxymoron. My personal favorite uh, oxymoron is, is Microsoft Works. That's my favorite uh, oxymoron right there. But that's to a Jewish person, that's what they would have thought, is they would have thought, good Samaritan, that's oxymoron, because for a thousand years, Jews and Samaritans had hated each other. In fact, you may never have noticed this. Did you notice that when Jesus asks the Jewish man to whom he tells the story, which one proved to be a neighbor, the man wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Wouldn't even say it, here's why. For a thousand years, they'd hated each other. A thousand years ago, when Israel was carried into Babylonian cap captivity, there was a small group of Jews who stayed behind and they were racial and ethnic traitors to the Jewish people. Uh, they intermarried with the Babylonians and they eventually built their own temple to rival the Jewish people's worship who actually suffered in exile. So much, this is really interesting to me. I'm gonna give you a little Bible nerd fact here. This is really fun for me. 
So much did they hate each other. There are actually true stories. You know, if a Jewish person comes in contact with pig or a pork, they're ceremonially unclean and they can't participate in Jewish festivals. There are actually stories, I read them in seminary, about Samaritans catapulting dead pig parts over the temple walls at Passover so that Jewish people would become ceremonially unclean and they couldn't participate in the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar. That's how much they hated each other. Now that is the person that Jesus says, that's who you're called to have compassion for. Now let me apply this to us, here's what that means. Jesus is saying we are especially, not just in addition to, we are especially called to have compassion on people who are totally unlike us, who are on the other side as us. That means you are called to have compassion on people who don't look like you. We are called to have compassion on people who don't dress like you, people who don't believe like you. Listen, we are called to have compassion on people whose problems are all their fault. Do you ever do this? You look at somebody's problems, you go, man, I don't have to deal with that because their problems were self-inflicted. Guys, listen to me. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't look at your sin and say, that's not my issue, his problems are self-inflicted. I'm real glad Jesus didn't do that to me. Listen, we are called, now don't freak out on me, don't fire up the angry email yet, don't freak out. We are called to show compassion to people who don't come from the same country as you. Now listen, I'm gonna say something now. Hang with me for 30 seconds and listen to everything I'm about to say. Okay, just track with me. And I'm gonna say something, and when I say it, we need to, in this room, clap loud enough that they hear us at all of our LPE campuses. Listen, you may have legitimate questions about how the government should relate to immigration issues, but there can be no question about how an individual Christian should relate to individual immigrants. We relate to them with compassion. We are called... We are called to that. We are called to show compassion. Listen, <laughs> we are called to show compassion to people who don't vote like you. Can I just, can we have a, can I vent for a second? Can I do this? Can we have a group therapy session? Can we do this? Okay, one thing that's really hard about being a pastor right now in this political climate is what's happening in our nation right now is we are being conditioned to practice what I'm gonna call politicized compassion. What that means is that every time a pastor or a Bible teacher says anything about compassion for a group of people, people automatically input a political motive into what he's saying. So for instance, if I say something about compassion for women, they go, oh, he leans left. If I say something about compassion for the unborn, oh, he leans right. Compassion for racial minorities, he leans left. Compassion for first responders, oh, he leans right. Compassion for immigrants, oh, he must lean left. Compassion for veterans, oh, he leans right. Guys, listen to me. Our primary allegiance isn't to a red elephant or a blue donkey, it's to a slain lamb. And what... And listen, the compassion of Jesus does not have any party lines. We are called to have compassion on anybody that comes in our path. And those people are God's assignment to us, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they believe, what they look like, or what their lifestyle is like. That's what we're called to here. Now, you may hear all that and you may go, man, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great, Josh, but I don't feel that way. <laughs> and where in the world am I gonna get compassion like that? C can I show you, listen, I read, this, I read this story for 20 years before I ever noticed this. Can I show you my favorite part of this story? Okay, let, let me show you something. Now, trivia, uh, Bible, Bible pop quiz, this is a rhetorical question, don't answer out loud. Was the man Jesus was telling the story to was that man a Jew or a Samaritan? He was a Jew. Now, second question. In the story, 
is the Jewish man the one helping a Samaritan person or the one being helped by a Samaritan person? He's the one being helped. Now, isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus tell a story to a Jewish person about a Jewish person being helped? Why did Jesus tell it backwards? Well, guys, listen, Jesus didn't tell it backwards. Jesus is the greatest storyteller the world has ever seen. What's here's what's happening here. What if, what if the person we're most supposed to identify with in this story is not the priest? It's not the Levite. What if the person we're most supposed to identify with in this story is not even the Good Samaritan? What if the person we are most supposed to identify with in this story is the man bleeding and helpless on the side of the road? What if, what if in the story of redemption, somebody who had every reason to hate us and consider himself our enemy and who was very unlike us chose to walk down the path we had put ourselves on and take upon himself our pain and stop to help us, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. And if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Guys, in just a few chapters, Jesus will be the one walking a road, but it's not gonna be the Jericho road, it's gonna be the Golgotha road. In just a few chapters, Jesus is gonna be the one trading places with a person, but he's not gonna be trading places with a person on a donkey, he's gonna be trading places with a person on a cross. And in just a few chapters, Jesus is gonna be the one supplying somebody's needs at great cost to himself, but it's not gonna be two denarii, it's gonna be two open veins on his arms when he stretched them out and he said, as much blood as you need, as much blood as you need, whatever it takes. And what's happening in this story, here's what's happening. God is showing us that it's when we understand that we have been shown compassion by God that we begin to exhibit the compassion of God. And that's the only way, <laughs> that's the only way. Let me land the plane uh, doing this. Uh, let me show you how this works in somebody's life. With, uh, with me recently. I got a pastor friend who had a family in his church that uh, was pregnant and they went to a sonogram and a doctor came in and said, hey, I got some bad news. Test results came back and your child is gonna be born with a condition called spinal bifida. Um, that means that most of your child's organs are gonna develop on the outside of uh, his body. He won't live long, not, not much chance for that. And it's gonna cost you an incredible amount of money if you choose to go forward with this pregnancy. Um, in addition to that, uh, you'll have the emotional pain of caring for a child intensely, and then that child dying in your arms. And the doctor just sort of offhandedly said, hey, you know, you don't have to move forward with this pregnancy. You know that, right? And uh, this couple, they went home, and uh, they just said, man, we got a really hard decision to make. And uh, that night they went home and uh, the woman said that night that uh, God gave her a dream. And it's one of those dreams, when you're here, you'll know what I'm talking about. One of those dreams she knew this was from the Lord. And, and that night in her dreams, she said she uh, opened her eyes and she was in a stadium uh, surrounded by like 30,000 people. And there was a man in the middle who was uh, bringing out these beautiful, healthy, just vibrant children and putting them out in the middle and then just asking the stadium, who wants this child? And one by one, his children were coming out and he said, who wants this child? And the entire stadium was erupting. You know, we do, I do, I do, you know. And somebody would come get the child and whisk it away to be cared for. And that happened hundreds of times in her dream. And then eventually she said the tone of the dream changed and it was almost like a darkness fell. 
And finally, that man brought out a diseased, deformed, uh, dying, sickly, repulsive child. He brought it out, and one more time he raised his voice and he said, who wants this child? And a deafening silence fell in the stadium until eventually one man at the very back on the other side stood up and said, I do, you know, at any cost, I'll take that child. And in her dream, both she and that man on the other side of the stadium started walking towards the center where the child was. And she said in her dream, she recognized two things at the same time in the dream. She recognized that the man who had claimed the child was Jesus, and then she realized that the child was her. And she realized that God was showing her what he had done for her so that she would know what she was called to do for him. In fact, her husband even said, you know, asked her a question the next morning and she just said, hey, I know what it will cost us to care for this child, but I also know what it costs Jesus to care for me. Because that's how it works. When we understand the compassion God has shown us, we begin to exhibit the compassion that God has. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for us that God would birth that within us and make us people of uncommon compassion. So will you let me do that? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? And Father, would you please open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to the price you paid for us, the compassion you had for us, that you walked the road, you stretched out your hands, you opened your veins to care for us at any cost to yourself, not at the risk of your life, but at the cost of your life. Father, please help us to understand the compassion of your heart for us. And as we understand that, would we be transformed into an uncommon, uncontrollable compassion for the people around us. And then just like your word says in the book of Isaiah, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing like the noonday. So Father, would you please do that in us, birth that in us and make us people of Christ-like compassion to go along with our deeply held conviction. Father, we love you. We pray those things in the compassionate, risen name of Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. Amen and amen, amen.